Well, good morning. Good to see you. A um, couple of words of explanation. If you're expecting Pastor John to be here, uh, he's not, as you can see. Um, sorry about that. If you want to leave now, then that's fine. Just write your name on a piece of paper as you go um, and give it to me. Um, he's with family. He's got a funeral of an aunt this afternoon. This aunt was quite a, an aged lady. She was a Christian, she was born again, she knew Jesus, so in that sense, it's a fantastic funeral, but it is a funeral. So it'd be good to pray for him, and he's a bit, apparently he's a bit chesty, so uh, we need to pray for him. Uh, I also want to pray for Bill, Bill Adams, who's in hospital. Is he still on for the heart catheter tomorrow? Um, Right, so... Okay, so Bill Adams is still in hospital and they're trying to sort out problems to help him. So let's just pray for a moment. Lord, you're the friend of sinners. You're the friend of people like us. We're so grateful, Lord, because without you we would indeed be totally lost. Lord, we've got so much to thank you for. But this morning we want to pause... And pray first of all for Pastor John as he conducts his funeral this afternoon in California. Lord, we pray that it'll be a fitting tribute to the lady who is now in your presence. We pray, Father, that there will be a time of celebration and praise and and the glory of resurrection, the triumph of Jesus over over sin and death. And we pray also, Lord, for those folks there as they grieve, that you will be with them in their pain and their loss, May they know your peace and your comfort. Pray for John especially, Lord. Fill him with your spirit as he leads that time. May he enable the folks to grieve, to express their love, to express their joy and their pain at the parting of a loved one. Just pray, Father, that you'll sort his chest out, that he'll soon be back to full health and strength. Then, Lord, we pray for Bill. We thank you for the the medical care that he's receiving in hospital. Lord, as they seek to know how to treat him best and to respond to his medical conditions, we pray that you'll give the medical people wisdom, that they will use their skills to the best, and that, Lord, whatever they do, whatever they decide upon, will be the best treatment for him. So be with Bill. May he know your presence. May he know your grace and your mercy and your peace uh, in that hospital room right now. Pray for Shirley, Lord, with balancing... Uh, concern for Bill and her mother and work. Lord, just give her the grace that she needs and the stamina and the wisdom to know how to divide her time. And may your comfort be with her as well also. And now, Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you'll help us to learn from you, to see you afresh, and to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're a regular here, you'll know that Many folks in the church are following a two-year Read Through the Bible uh, program. And I just want to pause on something that I came across this week. Are you up to date? Anybody ahead of the date? Oh, somebody's ahead. Whoa. Some people are ahead. Wow, they'll get to heaven. Whoa, fantastic. (laughs) God, dear. No doubts about that. (laughs) Okay. Now, if you're sort of on time, um, you might have read this 
this week, or if you're not, you will soon. It's from Numbers 11, and this sort of struck me. This is Moses talking to God. And Moses had a pretty dicey job. And the people he was leading weren't always the easiest people to lead. (laughs) It doesn't happen in churches. You know, everything's easy in church. Okay, the people were grumbling. They were murmuring and grumbling and complaining. I mean, no, that's totally foreign to us here. But that's what they were doing. And Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry. It got up his nose as well. And Moses was troubled. He said to the Lord, this is Moses talking to God. Listen, you might have read this. Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? In other words, me. Why have you given me this to do? What have I done to displease you? But you put the burden of all these people on me. Wow. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? This is the word of God, folks. Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? Because that's why they're asking for food. They keep wailing to me, give me meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The burden's too heavy for me. And that, get this. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. (laughs) If I have found favor in your eyes, and don't let me face my own ruin. This is Moses talking to the God of heaven. But if you read on, you'll see God answered him. God did not condemn him for speaking straight, for telling it like it is. God said, okay, I'll give you some help. And he did. But the thing that struck me was the the relationship, and this is under the old covenant, not let alone the new covenant, that Moses had with God, that he was able to speak like this to, to Yahweh and live and still be in a position of leadership. That's absolutely amazing. There's facets to the relationship that we have with God which are quite mind-blowing if you stop and think and really consider what's going on here. Moses is really letting rip at God. God didn't seem to mind. I mean, he knew what was in Moses' heart. But also, here is Moses, the great leader, really feeling cheesed off. Do you feel cheesed off in America? Or is that a British (laughs) expression? Yeah? Okay. Well, there's nothing to feel cheesed off about. I know that. Um, he was really fed up. I just want to die. Just get it over and done with. I can't look up. Are they my, are they my fault? Did I father these people? What are they to do with me? Why have you given them to me? I just want to die. I've had enough of it. Whoa. Now, that gives me some encouragement because if Moses can talk plain to God, so can we. Now, that's just an aside a sidebar, as Pastor John would say. That's not, the pre- that's not the sermon this morning, but that's just to highlight, as I know Pastor John does sometimes, some of the um, things that we're finding in reading through the Bible. Re- if you're not in it, it's not too late to start. I'm sure Jody can find you one of the two, the, the year through the Bible books. And um, you get to see everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there is the good, the bad, and the ugly in the Word of God. And it's really mind-blowing. So get into the Word of God. It's fantastic. Okay. See what happens if I press this. Oh, 
there we go. A Tale of Two Mountains. Now, I have to acknowledge Charles Dickens here because he didn't write a book called The Tale of Two Mountains, but he did write a book called A Tale of Two Cities. And apparently, I haven't read it. Terrible. I mean, he's British as well, and I haven't read it. Um, it was a, it comparing, I think it was in Paris and London, uh, that's good, uh, around the time of the French Revolution. A Tale of Two Cities, and I borrowed that, A Tale of Two Mountains, with apologies from Charles to Charles Dickens. Um, that's what we're looking at this morning. And it links in a little bit with what I've just been saying, uh, because the first mountain is Sinai. That's the first mountain we're going to look at. And if you're doing the reading plan, you, you will know that that's where Moses climbed up the mountain. He received the Ten Commandments. It is, it was and is a geographical location in Egypt, sometimes called Horeb. But you can see it, you can now take a photograph of it, photograph of it. it is still there, it's a physical location, and it's where Moses uh, led the people and then he received the Ten Commandments. What the people got up to while he was getting the Ten Commandments is another story, which you might have read, but um, it's a physical location. But then the Bible talks a lot about Mount Zion. And Mount Zion, yeah, there is a bit of Jerusalem called Zion, um, but Mount Zion is a spiritual place. It's the city of God. It's where God dwells. And, of course, God does not dwell in a physical city. You can't limit him to that. It's spiritual, not geographical. That's the significance of it. And these are the two mountains that we're going to be looking at this morning. And to help us, the purpose is to help us see what does and what does not characterize our life as Christians and how we can and how we cannot relate to God. And the difference that looking, comparing these two mountains, metaphorically speaking, can, can help us to point up. And we're going to be basing some of our thoughts on some verses in in Hebrews, which we'll see in a minute. Now let's look at Mount Zion. There's another of these early photographs that one of the children of Israel took that's been digitally enhanced so we can see the colours. Now I'm not sure whether that's Moses up the mountain or whether it's God. It looks like he's got the Ten Commandments there, so maybe it's Moses. He's quite big. Um, but while Moses was up that mountain, what were the people doing? And what were they told to do? Well, first of all, there was all sorts of clouds and fire going on because the presence and the holiness of God descended to the top of the mountain. Moses was there. Wow. God presents himself there in a very special, visible way. But as far as the people were concerned, well, for them it was a keep away, don't touch, watch out. Get too close and you've had it. You know you go along roads and along these roads with woodland, there's the posted signs which are basically saying private property, no hunting, shooting, fishing, no trespassing, go away with the sort of implied threat that if you come on my land I'll come out with my shotgun. That's not good. We don't have that in England. All these shotguns and things around. It's private property. We do have private property but it's not quite as aggressive as that. But that's a bit what it was like here. Posted, property of deity. You do not touch this mountain on peril of your life. Wow. So God, well, was a bit of a keep away God. Don't come too close. In Exodus 19, God said, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. 
They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. In other words, just keep your distance. Keep your distance. And some of us perhaps find we want to, or God, we feel God wants us to keep a distance from him. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me compare that to something that we've probably, many of us have had the pleasure of enjoying. And that is going to the DMV. (coughs) Have you been to the DMV? Department of Motor Vehicles. Okay. Now, you go in there, you have to jump through hoops. Do you jump through hoops in America? You know, you have to sort of do the right thing, the right procedure, fill in. And when I go there, I'm always scared stiff as I approach the window. Have I got the right form? Have I filled it incorrectly? Can they read it? Have I forgotten something? Have I missed something? Is it going to cost me more than I expect? But you go up there and you get a ticket, if you're lucky, and you sit and you wait. And there's barriers which are saying, keep out. You come this far and no further. And, of course, over there there's a security guard who is armed... And if you try to get on those barriers, I think you'll probably have something to say about that. There are strict rules, and it's very much, this is an official uh, office, you do your bit, we do our bit, but don't come too close. Metal barriers to separate. So that's what I want you to sort of think Mount Sinai was a bit like. Those barriers, the verbal barriers that we... That, that God put there on pain of death. Now, can I just say, I'm not criticizing DMV staff. <laughs> My experience at the DMV in Middletown, Middletown, every time I've been there, is that the staff have been, could not be more polite, helpful, professional, and positive, doing an excellent job. Yeah, you have to wait sometimes. But uh, this is not a criticism of the DMV. It is not a criticism of the staff. They're great. It's just a comparison that here's a system. You get so far but no further. And if you try and get too close, you've got trouble. And you have to go, go through the right rituals and the right procedures. That's what I'm saying. And that's all I'm saying about um, DMV. <laughs> okay. So why was God near this mountain, the sort of keep away God, keep your distance, don't come too close. Well, that first word there is so important, holiness. We've sung about this. God is holy, we are sinful. Now, it wasn't that God thought about it and thought, well, okay, um, shall we keep them away or shall we allow them close? Shall I be too bothered about their sin or shall I just ignore it? It's not that God could have that discussion within the Trinity and make a decision, but he could make a different decision. It's to do with his inescapable, unavoidable nature. God is holy, sin is sin, the two cannot mix. If sin approaches the holiness of God, sin is wiped out, which means that you and I and the people are wiped out. If we tried to approach the holiness of God with sin, we would be totally destroyed. And that's why God said, be careful. Don't come too close. Only Moses can come up the mountain, and that after a whole elaborate procedure. The rest of you, stay there. You're sinful. I shall break out amongst you. I can't help it. This is my nature, and you will be destroyed. God and sin just cannot mix. And the thing was that the root of man's problem, sin, was not yet totally dealt with under this covenant. They still had to keep on offering sacrifices. It was a partial 
solution. It was a temporary solution. So God keeping people away wasn't just an arbitrary decision, but it is an inescapable and non-negotiable facet of his, his nature. So the result of all that is that the people couldn't really enjoy a close relationship with God. He was this distant, somewhat overwhelming, somewhat threatening figure against whom they did a lot of complaining and against Moses they did a lot of complaining. So the people would have to rely on the professionals, Moses, the priesthood, the Levites, the professional religious people to represent them to God, to offer their sacrifice. They would bring their sacrifice, the priests would offer it. It was rather second-hand and impersonal. Yes, it worked. Their sins were covered through the animal sacrifices. But it wasn't a total solution. God was out there somewhere, but not so much involved in their individual lives. He told them what to do. Sometimes they obeyed, but more often they just did their own thing anyway. And even while Moses was up the mountain for 40 days, what were the people doing? While Moses was up there, the people were down the bottom waiting. What happened? They made a golden calf. They gave Aaron. Aaron was Moses' number two. He should have known better. They gave Aaron their gold. They said, hey, come on. This Moses, we don't know where he is. We haven't seen him for ages. Let's make our own God. This is the God that brought us up out of Egypt. And so they made a golden calf. Aaron went along with it, the high priest. Goodness gracious me, how God puts up with them and how God puts with us, I really don't know. Um, we tempt his patience, but God is God. God is God. Only Moses could directly talk with God and really know him. So Sinai is very much a beware, keep away. And the good thing about all that, though, is this. Now, it's rather long, but I shall read it out. This is one of our scriptures. Here is the writer of Hebrews saying, all we talked about so far, this is not for you. It's not a waste of time. It's to point out the contrast. Because here the writer is saying, you have not come, this is to Christians now in Hebrews, you haven't come to this mountain Sinai that can be touched and it's burning with fire. You haven't come to darkness, gloom and storm. You haven't come to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words but those who heard it begged that no further would be spoken to them because they couldn't bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was even terrifying for Moses that said, I'm trembling with fear. The writer of the Hebrews saying, you Christians, this is not to be your experience of God. What they experienced under the old covenant is not what you and I are to experience now. And that's the whole point of what, where we're going this morning. The writer looks at once gone before here and says, it ain't like that anymore, things have moved on. So, for us, we don't live at the bottom of Mount Sinai. With all its stuff going on, it is not for us. Metaphorically speaking, it is not to be our experience. The keep away, keep your distance if you, if you step out of line, God might club you. That is not to be our experience as Christians. Okay? So let's get the fly to the right mountain. Or a different mountain. Whoa! This is what the writer to Hebrews says next. Having said you have not come to that mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion. This is the spiritual dwelling place of God. To the city of the living God, well, that sounds good. The heavenly 
Jerusalem. You have come to, I love this, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels doing what? Being religious and pious. They're having a party. A joyful assembly. That sounds a bit like a party to me. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God. Whoa. The judge of all to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That goes right back to, the, to, to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain shed Abel's blood. He killed him, murdered him, the first murder as far as we know. His blood didn't tell us a lot about the goodness of man. It told us about the sin of man. The blood of Jesus told us a lot about the goodness of God and his grace to sinful man. So, this is what we have come to. And this is our prime text today. If you want to go away with the scripture, this is it. Meditate on this. Ponder on it. Uh, Get it in your heart. This is the character of God. This is what we have come to as Christians. It doesn't even say, this is what you will come to when you die, although there is that dimension of it. It The writer is saying, you have, you're already in Zion. There used to be an old song. I don't know if you had it over here. We're marching to Zion. We're marching to Zion. Glorious, glorious Zion. And I said, no, I'm already there. Thank you very much. I'm not on the way. You have come. In other words, this experience of the presence and the goodness and the joy of God is already available. It's not just pie in the sky when we die, although it is, but it's already here for us to walk into and to experience day by day. Not the keep away God, but the welcoming God. Wow, this is our prime text. You look at that, you think, oh, who needs sermons if you've just got that to look at? Shall we pack up and go home now? Who needs sermons when you can just read the stuff? Well, okay, I'm not putting it down, we do. I get into trouble with Pastor John, because he's got a little... He's got a spy sitting over there. <laughs> we, we did pray for him while you were out. Serious, we prayed for him. <laughs> um, okay. So, let's think about Mount Zion for a minute. It's interesting that the first thing it says to describe what's going on is thousands and thousands, that's quite an impressive number, of angels in joyful, joyful assembly. That's the first way that the writer wants to describe the dwelling place of God, the presence and the overwhelming joy that is there. Wow. And then, of course, it's teeming with life. I'm not sure whether that's spelt right. Somebody was not sure about that, but I think it's okay. There's loads of life. Life is there. There's people there. There's angels there. There's the spirits of the the, the righteous made perfect. We're a privileged people. There's an inheritance. The church of the firstborn. The firstborn was the one who was in a privileged position, double portion. We are the church of the privileged, double portion. In other words, there's nothing lacking in what God gives us. I like the bit about whose names are written in heaven. Somewhere in heaven... Your name is written in God's book. Now, I don't know how God works that out because God is spirit. But your identity, your name, your life is recorded 
up there, not heaven is up, you know, in, in Zion, in the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom, in God's presence, your name is there. Your circumstances, your family, your past, your present, your future, it is known, you are known to God. I think that's good. But then there's the closeness to God. It's not the keep away, it's the, it's, it's the come closer to God. And Jesus, the mediator, who is the one who has made it all possible? If it weren't for Jesus, none of this, I know most of you probably are fully aware of that, if it weren't for Jesus, none of this stuff would be happening. We'd be lost. It would be worse than even in the Old Testament. And folks, this is our mountain. Now, somebody said at the beginning something about it being the start of the baseball season. Yeah. Oh, stupid game. Um, uh, I, I, I sometimes follow the Premier League. Now, the Premier League is English soccer. Soccer. Proper football. None of this American football nonsense. Proper soccer. <laughs> I'll be fired. <laughs> and my team, my team, I've never actually been to watch them play, but I grew up in London... And in South East London, there's a Premier League team called Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace. They're not one of the top ones like Manchester or United or Arsenal or Tottenham or Chelsea. Somebody's a soccer supporter over there. What's your team? Barcelona. Barcelona. Oh, different country. Okay, good man. You, you support your team. I support Crystal Palace. Okay. Now, when you're watching your favourite soccer team, whether it's in Spain or England or even in America or whatever, what happens when somebody scores a goal? Oh, oh yeah, okay. What do you do when your team scores a goal? Yay! Pardon me. You're on your feet. You look at that stadium, that joyful assembly of thousands upon thousands of soccer fans or baseball fans or football fans or basketball fans or ice hockey fans, whatever it is. You have, a, you have thousands and thousands of people in joyful assembly and when their team scores a goal or whatever it is or makes it to the end or whatever they have to do, there is a rip-roaring shout that goes up and people are on their feet and their arms are in the air and they're jumping up and down and it's fantastic. Tell me, what eternal significance does that have? When Crystal Palace scores a goal, they beat Chelsea yesterday. When Crystal Palace scores a goal, what is the significance of that? in the bigger scheme of things. Absolutely nothing. I always remember when I used to work in the UK, I wasn't a pastor at this time, I worked in sort of local government, my boss, the, the director, we'd sometimes go home on the same train. He was a you know, nice guy, senior guy, boss of, of all that was going on in local government. He was an Arsenal supporter. Arsenal's another Premier League soccer team in England. And he'd talk about Arsenal, oh, well, we've just signed this and we are going to do that. And I think he, he was totally identified with them. And sometimes people are so totally identified with their team that it's always not they but we, as if they are the manager or the player. And there is a total identity. There's something in us that wants to reach out to something bigger. 
Now, what about our identity with Jesus? We. He has saved us. And when the team scores a goal, it's pretty insignificant in the bigger scheme of things. But when Jesus scored the goal, whoa! We've been singing about that this morning. Jesus, the mediator. So we have come to Zion. There is a new covenant. So let's get excited. Yeah, okay, okay. That last song we sung, or was it the last one? The one, no, the, 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 pre, the, the second from last one. Um, there was some fantastic truth in that. Wow. And when you're declaring truth, yeah, he rose up from the grave. He conquered death. He conquered, it's all right to get excited. In fact, I think God's quite happy about that. These angels are in thousands upon thousands of them in joyful assembly. It's okay. It's okay. So in Sinai, it's the warning, keep away. In Zion, it's welcome, come on in. So where do we live, in the DMV or the soccer stadium? <laughs> I think I'll choose the soccer stadium. So what changed? Well, let's read that in Matthew. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Wow. The earth shook. The rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and they went into the holy city, Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. What on earth is going on there? This is Matthew. This is the New Testament. Old to new. Sinai to Zion. Now, that curtain was very much a keep out. It was very thick, it was very heavy, it was 45 to 60 feet high, it was very wide, it was very, very heavy. It was there to keep people out from the Holy of Holies in the temple. It was very much a don't come too close, don't open, don't peek around that curtain, because the presence of God is deemed to be there, the Ark of the Covenant and stuff. And if you go in there, you can't. It's the Holy of Holies. It was a keep out symbol telling the people. It wasn't just a symbol. It was actually a physical barrier to stop people going in. The high priest could go in there once a year, but only after an elaborate procedure. And if I remember rightly, I remember somebody saying that when the high priest would go in there each year, they'd tie a bit of cord around his middle or his legs or somewhere so that if he was slain by the power of God, they could just pull him out. Not joking. It was that serious. But that curtain was torn in two. And what is that? Is that in desperation? God's like, oh, finish with this. No, I'm not doing this anymore. Absolutely not. This is God saying, the way to the presence of my holiness is now open. God tore that curtain. At what moment? The moment when Jesus died. The pivot on which all history uh, is, is balanced. And it says, very rarely do we look at this verse, it says dead people, there was an earthquake, and some dead people were resurrected. They were walking around after the resurrection. I can't get my head around that. How many? Where? How, for how long? Who were they? How did God choose them? I don't know. But that's what the word of God tells me, because the resurrection of Jesus means people resurrection. And it was proved by dead holy people being resurrected. I don't know what happened to them. 
But that's what it says. The keep out barrier is gone. Death has become life. So the curtain speaks of Sinai. The curtain being torn speaks of Zion. Come in, open access. And Jesus' resurrection means people resurrection. It means your resurrection, it means my resurrection. So God seems to be doing things differently. So did God lower his standards? Because in the Old Testament, people could not approach, and if they did, they'd be wiped out. They had to do all these sacrifices, and the holiness of God was very much on the agenda and their sinfulness. Has God lowered his standards? Has he let things slip? Is he now ignoring sin? Has he changed his mind? Is he less fussy? Has he dumbed down the need for dealing with sin, as we say these days? Does it bother him any less than it did? No. God is still the same. God is holy. But the temporary old system of sacrifice and ritual has been replaced with the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus. The standard is the same, perfection, holiness, and neither the children of Israel nor you and I can achieve that ourselves. But it was met by Jesus. And all the animal sacrifices around Mount Sinai, going back into the Old Covenant, they only had any, they only had any effectiveness because of Jesus, although the people didn't know that at the time. When the children of Israel were offering sacrifices, they were doing what they were told. They were looking at the, the law, they were told to bring their lamb, their dove, or ram, whatever it may be, and offer it. And the priest would, it would be a burnt offering and their sins would be covered. That's all they knew. When, God, when they looked at that, they saw the sacrifices in the Old Covenant. When God looked at that sacrifice, he saw one person on a cross, Jesus. And it's only through Jesus that the Old Covenant had any efficacy. It's only through Jesus that we are saved, as we know. So God has not lowered his standards. He's just provided a different way of becoming holy, of becoming holy. and the cross is the pivot point. So, some final encouragement. This is after the other verses in Hebrews that we saw. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. It's almost as if the writer is saying, you haven't come to all this stuff and threat and fire and brimstone and keep away. You have come to the joyful assembly of the spirits of the firstborn made perfect. You have come to this great fantastic uh, uh, celebration of life, but don't forget who God is. The result is let's worship him with reverence. and awe. Now, reverence and awe does not mean we have to tone down the joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength and God is full of joy. But it does mean that this is not trivial. The stuff that we've been looking at, the stuff on these mountains, um, it's serious business. It cost Jesus his life. It cost the Trinity, I don't know what. I think I've probably said before, when Jesus died on the cross, we believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's the Son of God on the cross. What on earth was happening in Father, the Spirit? Ooh. They'd, all they'd known, all the Godhead, our one God knew from eternity past was unity, love, togetherness, joy, peace. And now it's almost as if the Trinity's blown apart. 
How can we put that into words? What on earth was going on in the heart of God? I don't know. It was heavy stuff. It was significant stuff. It was stuff from which we benefit. So, what can we take away from all this mountain stuff? Well, first of all, that first bit there says we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It cannot be shaken. Nobody is going to blow up Mount Zion. Nobody is going to undermine it. Nobody can change what is done. If you're scared stiff of God, if you're thinking, well, maybe my experience is a bit more like the Sinai thing, a bit scared of God, if I step out of line, is he going to clubber me? Maybe you're on the wrong mountain. Maybe look at the gospel afresh. Your sin is dealt with. Yes, it still offends God, but it is dealt with, it is gone. Um, How far is it gone? Well, I've probably said this before. The Bible says that our sins have been separated from us from as far as the east is from the west. Now, think about the world. Here we are, this globe that we're on. There's the North Pole. There's the South Pole. And you could actually fly from one to the other, and it's a distance of, is it 12,000 miles or 7,000? I can't remember. It's a finite distance you can measure. Okay. Now let's do it the other way around. The way you're looking at it, there's west, there's east. Okay. Now if I start off west and I go east, I keep going round and round. When do I get to the east? I'm always going east. There is no east pole. There is no west pole. I can chase east for the rest of my life and I will never find it. That is how far our sins have been separated from us. You can't measure it. They are gone. You will never get there. That's where your sins are. If it was from the north to the south pole, you could say, oh, well, yeah, okay, they're there, but just a long way away. No, they're gone. They're gone. That is the glory of the welcome that God gives us. If you're unsure of where you stand with God, you can be certain, and it's all good. If you're proud of your achievements for Jesus and the church, watch out. Beware. You don't deserve to be in Zion. And your efforts have not got you there. The efforts of Jesus have got you there. Now, sometimes one or two people close to me call me a grumpy old man. (laughs) Can't think why. This verse tells us to be thankful. So all the grumpy old men here, all the grumpy old women, all the grumpy young men and the grumpy young women and the grumpy middle-aged men and the grumpy middle-aged women, we're not leaving anybody out. This verse tells us to have an attitude of thankfulness because of what God has done. It's easy to get grumpy, isn't it? But sometimes we need to stand back and think, you know, how, how important is this thing I'm really getting all wound up about? In comparison with the ground that I have been given to stand on spiritually in Jesus. If God is just a a sort of bolt-on extra for hard times, well, I live my life, but when something goes wrong, I'll pray or I'll come to church or maybe read the Bible. Look again. He is God. Whether you're in difficult times or easy times, he is your saviour. He went through some difficult time on the cross. He wants our devotion, our love. 
He is God, you are not. The cross is not just to keep you and me feeling good. It is to deal with sin and death, and he's done it. And that, the gratitude that we owe him means that we need to be giving him our whole lives. It's all about Jesus, not you or me. But with him, know that you are on solid ground, this kingdom. So when things get tough, and if they haven't already, they will at some time for some reason, when things get tough, the ground you are standing on in Christ, the the ground of salvation, the ground of his presence, of joy, of peace, that ground will not move. Make sure you stand on it because that ground will see you through uh, the things, that, the times that you go through. Aim to find out what it means to be a worshipper of God. The angels are worshipping God in that joyful assembly. Let's find out what it means to be a worshipper. Not just a consumer of his grace, but a worshipper of God. So there's a lot for us to take away from this. But I want to leave us just to sort of repeat the questions, really. Where are you? Sinai or Zion? Metaphorically speaking, what characterizes your Christian life, your life with Jesus? Sinai or Zion? The God's a bit distant, I'm a bit afraid, I'm a bit unsure, a bit afraid of him, I don't want to get too close. Or, wow, come in, enjoy worship, be at peace, know the joy of living for him. Impersonal religion or living faith? Uncertainty or confidence? Let's stand together and pray. Father, this morning we want to thank you that you have given us life. It cost you your life, Lord Jesus. It cost you severe abuse, misunderstanding, rejection. You were a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And yet, Lord, you did that for us. Lord, we want to say thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the life that you've given us. Help us, O Lord, to to know what it means to be citizens of Zion. Help us, Lord, to live our lives in such a way that that just blends in with the truth that we've been talking about, that our lives might reflect your glory, might reflect your victory, might reflect the fact that you have dealt dealt with our sin, might reflect the thankfulness that we feel. So, Lord, we, we offer ourselves up to you afresh. If any of us perhaps feel we're a bit distant from you, Lord, help us to come closer, help us to know more. Give us your spirit afresh that we might just understand more of who you are or more of who we are in you. So now, Lord, we pray that you'll go with us. Watch over us this day. May we just glorify your name. May we live in fellowship with you and one another. And may your grace be with us each moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You are dismissed.